prayer for this morning that, that God's Holy Spirit would fall fresh on us. You know, as we have been uh, engaging in this series, hosting the Spirit's presence, as we are going through the book of Acts, we noted that in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples who were in that upper room, the Bible says that they were filled, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But then just a couple of chapters over, we see that Peter, as he is engaging the Sanhedrin because they're, they're after him to stop speaking about Jesus and his resurrection, it says that as he spoke, he was filled again with the Holy Spirit. And we saw that at the end of Acts chapter 4, that as the church was praying, the place in which they were praying was so filled with the Holy Spirit that it was shaken. And the disciples went out and they began to speak with even greater boldness than they spoke with before. So I want to take a little pit stop in the book of Acts and talk about what does it mean to live a spirit-filled life? What does it look like to live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit? So the outline that is inside your, your bulletin is a little more detailed than normally what I would give you, but this is such an important topic um, that I felt like I, I wanted to give you as much detail as I could because I want you to take this outline and I want you to I want, you to, I want you to think about it this week. I want you to pray over it. I want you to look up the scriptures. I want you to kind of meditate on what God might say to you concerning where you are in this, in this process of being spirit-filled and spirit-led. One of the things that I note about a lot of Christians, so if you have a Bible, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 5 and then put a marker there, and I'm going to go to Romans 5 and just read one verse there, and we'll go back to primarily to Ephesians 5, one of the things I note about uh, many Christians uh, is that they're tired, right? You're exhausted. How many of you are exhausted, right? We get exhausted, right? As a believer, we get exhausted. And uh, usually it goes through a very specific cycle is that something happens, a, a, you know, there's a spiritual encounter with God and we're just excited and we are pumped up and we are fired up and, and we engage and maybe it's in a ministry or maybe it's um, uh, some other way that God is, is just connecting with you. And, <clears throat> and so um, you, you get it, that renewed expectation, and there's that energetic pursuit of what it is you're going after. And then over time, um, disappointment begins to encroach upon you uh, because things aren't necessarily going the way you thought they would. Uh, it's not actually unfolding the way that you planned it for. And so you get a little bit uh, of disappointment, and then over time, you just become exhausted. It's like I'm, I'm giving, 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 and I just don't seem to be replenishing, and, and, and nothing's coming back. And, and so usually what happens when we get exhausted is we think, well, you know, what I need to do is um, uh, let's just stop ministry for a while and let's just, let's just dive into God's word and, and just let's just study the word and study the word and study the word. And that works for a little while and you're just learning new things and you're seeing new things and God is revealing new things through his Holy Spirit to you and you're engaging, you're embracing those things. But then it's like, okay, well, I'm going to take this and I'm going to apply it to worship and I'm going to apply it to helping the poor and I'm going to go over here and work in this and I'm going to do that. And then over time, again, exhaustion just kind of sets in because we're depleted. Um, ministry is exhausting. It's no accident when the woman with the issue of blood came up to Jesus and touched the hem of his robe 
uh, it says that Jesus turned and said, who touched me? And watch this, because the power, the power came out of me. The power flowed out of me. You know, I just know that if you are engaged, for example, let's, let's say God just laid on your heart to pray for people, and you pray, and you're just praying, praying, praying. I can assure you, by the time you're done, you are exhausted, right? You serve, serve, serve. You are exhausted. We need something that can replenish us. We need a well from which we can drink. And what Paul says, he, he described it in Galatians 2.20 as the exchanged life. Uh, for I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The one who loved me and gave his life for me. And so Paul says we, we, we live this exchanged life. And the way that we live this exchanged life is through the person of the Holy Spirit. He is so, so important. He is so essential to our lives. But he's the one person that many know the least about. So I want you to look in Romans chapter 5 and, and verse 10. Because how do you live this exchanged life? How is it possible? Well, Paul kind of gives a hint in Romans 5 verse 10. For if we... For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we, we be saved through his life? All right, circle that word saved. All right, the word saved here does not mean forgiven. Paul used the word reconciled to, to explain our forgiveness, right? So we were enemies of God. We came into this relationship with the Father through his son, Jesus Christ, and, and God reconciled us in this relationship. Now watch this. To him through his death of his son. How much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? That word saved uh, is not meant to be saved from the penalty of sin. It is meant to be saved from the power of sin. Right, so this is the, the big word that you hear um, uh, talked about, it's called sanctification. God growing us in our relationship with God. Uh, God is growing us in our lives because um, when we came to faith in Christ, yes, we've been forgiven through the death of his son, but now, now that we've been saved and we've entered into this relationship with the Heavenly Father, what God wants to do is to begin the process of changing us, exchanging our life for Christ. So that rather than living a life of exhaustion, we can, we can drink, as Jesus says, from the living water that is constantly refreshing us and renewing us. It's not that you're not going to get exhausted in ministry or trying to live the Christian life. It's just that on a daily basis, if I come and drink from the living well, then I can be replenished. For each day. That's why Jesus says, stop trying to live tomorrow and the next day and the next day. You live today and today only. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our refreshing, replenishing water from the living well. And that all has to do, the source of this power in the exchanged life is Christ living through me. How does he live through me? He lives through me in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, we used to wear bracelets that said, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And so we tried to live our lives. If you'll go to Ephesians 5 now, we tried to live our lives based on what we thought Jesus might do in this particular situation. And we can try to do that till we're blue in the face. But until we let Jesus do it through us, in us, through the Holy Spirit, we're going to be exhausted. Been there, done that. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, I don't want you to go anywhere. I don't want you to do anything. I want you to go to your room and wait. 
and wait for the Spirit because you can't do anything without him. Otherwise, you're going to go out there and you're going to try it on your own and you're going you're to experience some failures and you're going to experience um, some setbacks and you're going to get exhausted and you're, you're just going to make a mess of things. You've got to do this through the Spirit. So that it's no accident that we keep reading the phrase that Peter and others were filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. They were learning how to live the exchanged life that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 5 in Galatians 2.20. To replenish themselves so that the Spirit is, is doing this through them. The Christian life is really one message. Be filled with the Spirit. As a pastor, people ask me all the time how to fix their lives. Well, you don't understand, Pastor. I'm having a hard time loving my spouse. Uh, I, I don't know what I should do. What do you think I ought to do? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> That's not an answer. Yes, it is. Well, you don't understand. I, I like my stuff more than I like the church. And so, you know, whenever you get up there and talk about money, uh, you know, I, I, I don't really want you talking about money because this is, you know, I really don't want to have to give any money. I don't really want to have to support the church. I love my stuff more. And so what do you think I ought to do in this situation? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. You talk all the time about responsibilities and joys of serving Christ. I know I ought to be serving Jesus, but I really don't want to serve Jesus right now. Maybe somewhere down the road, maybe at some other time. What do you think I should do in this situation? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. My answer is always going to be the same. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because as we look at Ephesians chapter 5, it is no accident that Paul comes along and says, Listen, you, I want you to be imitators of God. I want you to walk. I want you to live the life that God's called you to live. Not like you used to live when you lived in darkness, but now that you're children of light. And then he begins to unfold that scenario, and he says, Now be very wise, because the times, the days are evil, on how you use your life, how you conduct your life. And he says, right in the middle of it, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then after that, he says, when you walk in the fullness of the Spirit, it's going to affect your married life. It's going to affect your work life. It's going to affect your worship life. It's going to affect your witnessing life. It's going to affect every aspect of your life if you'll walk in the fullness of the Spirit. Because otherwise, you're going to have problems. You're going to have difficulties. You're going to revert back to the old ways of life, the old ways of thinking, and the old flesh, you know, that part of your, your mind that is, is rutted into the old ways of living. If you want what God wants for your life, you have to learn how to live a spirit-filled life, period. So what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, let's look in Ephesians 5, verse 1. Paul says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life in love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. Now, some of your Translations may say, use the word walk instead of the word live, but it's one and the same. Your walk is your, your lifestyle. And so uh, in the NIV translation, it uses the word live instead of, of walk. He says, uh, but among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed because that is improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person such as a man in, is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because such things 
God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For once, watch this, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But in everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. That is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. Now watch this. Be very careful, therefore, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish But understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to the God and the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, notice what, first of all, Paul says, there is a calling upon our lives to be imitators of God, to live as children of light, to walk in this spirit-filled life because you cannot do that on your own. All right, I don't know about you, but when I got saved, um, all the old bad habits I had before I got saved, guess what happened to them after I got saved? I just like drug them behind me. They're like, every time I look back, there they are, right? They're still gaining control over my life. They're still, uh, you know, pestering me. I was still going back to the old ways of living, the old ways of thinking, the old ways of doing. There was a transformation process. Yes, God had transformed my life through the power of the Spirit indwelling me, but now he had to teach me how to live this exchange life so that I could walk empowered by the Holy Spirit living in me and through me. And so it's a process, but it's a calling upon our lives. This is not an optional thing that God's looking for us to do. So in Ephesians 1 through 3, Paul talks about the doctrine, you know, our new identity in Christ, and we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, and we are adopted into God's family, and that God's given us this wonderful power, powerful being the Holy Spirit, who is a person, by the way, not a force. He is a person who indwells us. Our bodies are the host of the holy presence of God. And and he says, now, I'm praying that you begin to understand how how much God loves you and, and the power source that is inside of you that can enable you to live a life that is different than what you used to live. And so in Ephesians 4 through 6, he ties it, all of this back to the fact of Ephesians 5, 18, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't go back into darkness. Don't go back into the old ways of living. Don't go back into those sins that you used to do in secret. But be careful how you live. Live a life worthy of the calling. Ephesians 4, 1, live a life worthy of the calling that God has placed upon your life. And so here's the ministry of the Holy Spirit at conversion. It is the Holy Spirit of God who draws you into that relationship. If the Spirit of God did not bring conviction in your life about your sin, you would never feel convicted. Your conscience might bother you, but you you can sear your conscience until you don't feel anything anymore. And so it is the Spirit who who drew me, who confronted me with my sin issues, who, who convicted me of my sin and drew me to the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And to the moment that I crossed that line, I'll never forget... When I was standing in the church service and I was, I like 
three pews back, and, and the invitation was given. I don't even remember what the pastor said, but I know that the Spirit of God came down on me so heavily. I was gripping the back of the pew till like my knuckles were on. I said, I was going, I, 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 I'm not going to go forward because I was an extreme introvert. I'm not going forward. I'm not walking down that aisle. I'm not moving. And I, I distinctly hear as though God was audible. Listen, if you take one step, I'll carry you the rest of the way. And that's exactly what he did. And so I gave my life to Christ. And at that moment in time, the scripture bears out that the spirit of God indwelt me. He took up residence in me. And, and he baptized me into the body of Christ so that I, uh, that I am in Christ and he is in me. He gave me a, a brand new identity in Christ. And Ephesians 1 says that he sealed me with his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was a guarantee, a deposit, a guarantee that I become a child of his. And he sealed me unto the day of redemption with the Holy Spirit, which meant that my salvation experience was eternal. It wasn't temporary. So I, I, as a new believer, I walked and dwelt with the Spirit. But I had no idea what it meant to walk in the fullness of the Spirit. Because nobody ever taught me. But I do know that there were occasions in which the Spirit of God came upon me so, so heavily. I mean, it was, you know, after Marlon and I got married and I was off doing construction. And uh, I'll never forget in a revival service, again, standing in church and, and the invitations given. And, and uh, the Spirit of God came upon me so heavily. Again, I'm gripping the back of the pew. I'm thinking, God, what are you doing? I mean, uh, you call it what you want, man. But, but God came on me so heavy. I, I went down to, like, down to my knees and I didn't understand what was going on. And, and so I just kind of like, you know, I'm going to wait this thing out. And at the end of the service, I went up to our pastor and I said, you know what? This is what's happening to me. I don't understand. I think God's calling me into full-time ministry, but I'm not sure about this. I don't understand what that means or what that looks like or what that experience should be like. And so very graciously, Reverend Crawford came to our home or our apartment and, and sat down and kind of walked me through that experience. There have been times in which the Spirit of God has come upon me so heavily that when I was wanting to give up an addiction, I, you know, I, I remember we were in college, and I came forward, and it was during a lay renewal weekend, and God's just spirit came down on me so heavily. And what I didn't understand was God was filling me. He was empowering me. He was calling me. He was, he was shaping. He was forming my life. And I, I remember coming to the front of the church, and, and I know that nobody touched me. Nobody, you know, hit me. But you call it what you want. Some people call it slain in the spirit. Whatever. All I know is when the spirit got me up there, I was flat on my face and could not get up. But God did a work that forever changed my life. And he's done multiple things like that since then. And so when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we want to walk in the fullness. He is operating in the fullness so that we operate in the capacity of the power of the Holy Spirit upon us. And so there's a couple of things you need to know about your calling. You need to desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit. When you were saved, um, you did not lose your fleshly desires, right? The Spirit wars with the flesh. And so walking in the fullness of the Spirit is always a battle between who's going to win this battle, who's going to be in control, who's going to call the shots, who's going to motivate your life, who's going to move your life. Is it in the flesh, those things that are of the sinful nature, or is it going to be the Spirit of God? 
Well, if you, if, you, if you just leave it upon yourself to decide that, guess which way you're going? You're going with the flesh most of the time, right? You may try to battle against that. You may try to say, you know what, God, I, I promise you, if you just forgive me this time, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to go down that road anymore, only to find out that you lied because you, you end up doing the same thing. And, and then you get frustrated and you think, well, you know, I'm trying this Jesus thing, but it doesn't seem to be working. I'm trying to change my life, but nothing's happening. I just keep doing the same things over and over. So for some people, this goes on for years and years. You just give up. You're exhausted. I can't do this anymore. You know, your, your life reflects what you see with your heart. So one of the things that I learned um, was that if you want to walk in the fullness of the Spirit, you have to desire that. You, you need to make that desire above and beyond the desires of the flesh. This has to be a conscious decision that you make, that you're desiring it, and so that you depend daily upon the filling of the Spirit. When Paul said, be filled with the Holy Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, the word there is polero, which means to be filled, to be controlled, to be intoxicated, to be permeated, to, uh, to be thoroughly influenced, to be doused. Uh, there are many different ways that people describe uh, the filling of the Holy Spirit. But I think one of the best ways to understand the description of Paul is to look at other verses. Luke 4.28 says the religious leaders were listening to Jesus and they were filled with rage. All right, so it's the same word that is used here, being filled with the Spirit. Acts 13, 45, certain Jews, it says, was filled with jealousy at Paul and Barnabas and their success. And so being filled means that you, you are overcome by a power that is greater than your own. Uh, just to kind of get a concept of what it means to be filled is like, how many of you have ever gotten up in the middle of the night, maybe you had a child that was crying out, and you jumped up out of bed because you thought something was wrong, and man, you just dashed out, and just as you were like making your way across the bedroom, uh, and it's dark, and you're trying to find a light, and you're trying to get to the door, and all of a sudden you catch your toe on a piece of furniture, and you stub your toe. Now at that moment in time, you are filled with something. And it has overcome you, it has enveloped you, it has overtaken you, it is a power greater than you, and words come out of your mouth you didn't even think you could speak. Can I get a witness? Thank you. That was my wife uh, who was saying those things. It wasn't me. Just kidding. We know what it means to be filled with joy, right? When the, when the birth of your first child and, and there was just such joy that filled you, that overcame you. That it, I mean, it's just like it was a power that came over you. And so the word being filled means it, it, it's just all-encompassing, and it is a control. Because, listen, Satan wants to control your life. The Spirit wants to, to control your life. And the way that you allow the Spirit to fill you and control you is that you live a life of surrender to the Spirit. You're asking him, you're desiring, you're depending upon him day in and day out to fill you with a power that is beyond yourself. Because there's something that God wants to do through you that day. 
And so there, are, there are times in which the filling of the Spirit is so overpowering and, and so overwhelming uh, that as you're desiring that, uh, that God might be anointing you for a ministry or uh, God might be filling you for a specific task that he's putting out in front of you. I mean, one of the prayers of my life right now is as I'm trying to seek out, God, what do you want to do through my life for the rest remainder of my ministry? I want these last years to be the best years, the f- most fruitful years of my ministry, however long that I have to serve. And so I'm just like, I'm just desiring and asking for the Holy Spirit because all throughout church history, there are guys who like, you know, D.L. Moody and John Wesley and, and John Knox and Charles Finney, where, where Billy Graham, where, all, where the Spirit just so heavily came upon them that it forever changed the course of their lives and their ministries. That's my desire. That's my prayer. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, I went to a couple uh, that are good friends of Marlon and I's. And I said, listen, I, I, I'm pursuing this. I'm desiring this. I want everything that God has to use me. And whatever time I have left, and I asked them to pray over me, and they, they prayed over me. And listen, when the, when the Spirit comes... I mean, he can manifest himself in many different ways. Sometimes people think it's like, it's like electricity was flowing through my body or, or there was a, just a deep, profound sense of um, just a presence that came upon me. And for some, uh, for example, they may even feel sick. And, and so for one particular individual who was praying over me, she had that happen. I mean, she just said, you know, when the Spirit came upon me, anointed me for the ministry he had for me, it just like felt like I, was, I just wanted to vomit. But she said, after that passed, God downloaded, God, God downloaded through his Spirit in her the entire Bible. So you ask her verse, chapter, she'll give it to you. That's a supernatural act of God. And so as they were praying over me, I mean, it's like my, my, my hands begin to shake, my arms begin to shake. It's not that, I mean, I'm just asking God to, to fill me to the fullness of the Spirit, to empower me for whatever ministry God has for me. This is what we all need, right? We need it not only for ministry, we need it for day in and day out life. As we are married and as we parent and as we grandparent and as we have gospel conversations with people. And so we, we come and we dedicate ourselves fully, more fully to the Holy Spirit. And so what I'm saying in essence is this. When you come to that point of surrender to the Holy Spirit's empowerment of your life, it's like no strings attached, no reserve signs, no saying, okay, Holy Spirit, you know, you can guide me over here, you can send me here, but I'm not going to go over here and you can't send me there. No, it's no strings attached. It's no clauses, no reservation. I just submit my life fully to him. And so that's why we, we sometimes we pray. We, we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. You say, well, does that mean I'm getting more of the Spirit? No, you got all the Spirit you're going to get at salvation. Listen, he doesn't pass out the Spirit like a deck of cards. But there is the empowerment of the Spirit. As you get, allow him to have control over your life, And he can take the gifts that he gave you and he can super empower those gifts. They're supernatural gifts to begin with, but it may be the Spirit comes so heavily upon you and in fullness and empowerment that those gifts are taken to a whole nother level. I've seen that happen in many people's lives. And so as Peter is in Acts, 
Chapter 10 and verse, five, four, uh, verse 45 says, All the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed by the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. And so there's a term of filling. There's a term of pouring out. Um, there is that calling of God upon our lives to walk spirit-filled lives, which li- that is living the exchanged life of Christ. And so he gives us the calling, but he also gives us a command. When Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, it wasn't an option. It is not an option. It is in the imperative mode that means it is a command of God. It's not like God says, hey, I think it's a good idea that you ought to live a Spirit-filled life. God is saying, listen, you want to make it? You, you want to make it in your marriage? You want to be a better parent? You, you want to be influential in your workplace? You, you want to be effective in your witness and spiritual conversations? You want God to use your giftedness to the extreme max? Then you must walk in the fullness of the Spirit for that to happen. Otherwise, you're trying to do it on your own, and the only outcome of that is exhaustion. And so, um, this, listen, this command to be filled came at, Paul says this after the seventh occurrence of the verb walk or live. You've been created into Christ under good works so that you may walk in them, walk in the manner worthy of your calling. Do not walk as Gentiles with darkened minds. Walk in love. Walk as children of light. And so it is an imperative. It's something that we are to do. Secondly, it is a plural. It is in the plural, in which means that it is available to everyone. This is not for the haves and the have-nots. This is not for the spiritual elites. You remember what it said of Peter when he was before they saying, Who are these guys? They are uneducated, ordinary people. But yet, when they were in the, walking in the fullness of the Spirit, it caused even the religious leaders of their day to stand up and take notice that these men, they've been with Jesus. There's something unique. How can that happen? They're not as educated as we are. They don't have their PhD in theology. You don't have to have a PhD in theology, okay, to walk in the fullness of the Spirit. It is available to every single follower of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, it is in the passive voice, which means it is something that God does for you, not something you do for yourself. You're simply desiring it, right? You desire it you, because you're dependent upon the Spirit, and you're going to dedicate yourself to the Spirit, and you're going to lay it all on the line, and you're asking to be filled with the Spirit, and so it is God who does the filling. You are the object who is acted upon. Now watch this. It is in the present tense, which means it is an ongoing, continual process. That's why you'll see Peter and the other disciples all throughout the book of Acts. They were constantly being filled with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit because it is a continuous action. And once you fill, doesn't mean you're permanently filled, right? Because, again, this is an issue of surrender. What if I'm not as surrendered as I was? What if I'm not allowing the Holy Spirit to have control? Or what if it that as I am engaged in something that is hindering the Spirit from allowing me to walk in fullness? So even the Apostle Paul, it says in Acts 9, 17, that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. But in Acts 13, 9, again, he's being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so the fullness of the Spirit, it's interesting to me (laughs) 
that four times, on four separate occasions, when the Bible wants to illustrate what it means to be filled with the Spirit, it uses the illustration of drunkenness. It's not that God's commending drunkenness. The Bible forget, forbids drunkenness. But why, do, why, would we, why would the filling of the Holy Spirit be illustrated in such a way? Well, you know, it, well, maybe you don't. If you've ever been drunk, which unfortunately I have on many, many occasions. Here's what I know about drunk people. Um, you lose control. You lose control over your tongue, right? You, you say things that you wish you had not said. You get yourself in a lot of fights because your mouth just gets, you know, running. And uh, you think you're bigger than you, you are. and You think you're badder than you, you were. And, uh, and uh, you know, you, you engage in a confrontation with somebody and you say words. Or so, if some of you grew up in an alcoholic family and you know that that person who, who uh, is an alcoholic can say things. You know, life and death is in the power of the tongue. And they can rip you up. They can cut you down. They can shred you. Uh, with their tongue, and it's worse when they're drunk because it's like they don't even understand what they're saying anymore. They don't have no control. Here's what I know also about alcohol. Uh, uh, someone who's under, uh, who's drunk is that you lose control of your body. You, you do things, right? If a police officer pulls you over and says, hey, I want you to you know, walk this white line here, one foot in front of the other, and you're all like, eh. Not that I ever did that or anything, but... You lose control over your mind when you're under the influence. You can ask people simple questions and they, they can't answer it or they stumble through an answer. You lose control of your emotions. You ever notice how some people, when they get drunk, they just get real weepy and, or some people get real fearful or paranoid and their emotions are all over the place. What is Paul trying to say here? He's simply trying to say, look, you are going to be, you are going to be influenced by something. Right? You don't want to be influenced by something that you have no control over. It's not that you have control over the Holy Spirit, but watch. You know that the fullness of the Holy Spirit is always going to bring you in alignment with the Word of God and the will of God for your life. Whereas if, my, if I'm out of control under the influence of alcohol, I've lost control of my tongue and my mind and my emotions and my body. And then all kinds of things happen as a result of that, right? You end up doing things, saying things, being places that you should not have said, done, or been. So um, he says, let us be controlled by the spirit who influences what we do and what we say. Because the Holy Spirit is an amazing guide. He is the one who controls what you think in your mind. If, you, if you're trapped in some negative pattern of thinking like anger and resentment and bitterness and frustration and impatience and fear and worry, man, and the Spirit of God can come upon your mind and, and settle in and dwell on your mind and enable you to lift off all of those toxic thoughts that are leading to toxic emotions and toxic actions in your life. He is the one who can enable you to renew your mind, to have the mind of Christ. He is the one who can, who can bring the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kind, and so that the the fruit of the Spirit begins to overtake your life and begins to control your life. And it controls the way that you speak and the way that you feel and the things that you do and the places that you go and the things that you, you say. Because you're allowing Him to guide you as He fills you and indwells you. As, I mean, as He fills you and He guides you and He, and he 
He moves you forward. Now, there are two hindrances that will keep that from happening. Two hindrances that the Bible talks about that will keep you from walking in a spirit-filled life. Number one is the grieving of the Holy Spirit. The grieving of the Holy Spirit. Look in Ephesians 4, verse um, 30. Here's what he says. Uh, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and along with every form of malice. What does it mean? The word grieve means to cause pain or distress or sorrow. Listen, saint, you are a host of the Spirit of God, right? Everywhere you go, he goes. Everything you see, he sees. Everything you hear, he hears. Everything you feel, he feels. You can't say like, hey, Holy Spirit, um, I'm about to go do some stuff. I know it's not right. You sit here. I'm going over here and do my thing, and I'll come back and pick you up. So every time you and I start living as children of darkness rather than children of light, every time we engage in acts of the flesh, the sinful actions, uh, we are dragging with us the Holy Spirit and it grieves him. So the grieving of the Holy Spirit is when you're doing the things that the Holy Spirit does not want you to do. So what happens when normally we do that? He brings conviction, right? He says something to me like, uh, Greg, what are you doing? Why, why are you doing that? Why are you considering that? Don't go there. Don't do that. So I have a choice to make. Either I'm going to submit myself to the voice of the Spirit. And again, the voice of the Spirit is seen very clearly in the Word of God. Uh, and, and so I'm either going to align myself with God's Word, with the prompting of the Holy Spirit, or I'm going to choose to do my own thing in my own way. This is one of the reasons why a lot of God's people do not walk spirit-filled lives because we've never given up control of our lives. We've wanted to maintain control over our lives, and we've wanted to maintain doing our own thing. And so there are three ways that Paul points out here in Ephesians 4 and 5, three specific forms of sin that disrupts the unity of the spirit within you. Number one is sins of speech, right? What does he say in um, 4.15? Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head uh, that is Christ. He says to speak all truth in love. And I've given you these verses on your outline. I'm not going to read them all. uh, But you'll notice it says in verse um, 25, it says, Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Um, Wow. Do not, verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful and for building others up. In verse 4 of chapter 5, he says, um, you know, nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking. See, all you have to do is listen to how you speak, and it will tell you whether or not you're walking in the fullness of the Spirit, in the Spirit-filled life, or are you walking in the flesh? All right, are you walking according to the old ways of living? And the only way I can clean up my speech is not by self-effort. I tried that for a long time. Trust me, it does not work. Stub your toe and find out. All right, if you stub your toe, you're probably not going to be walking in the spirit at that moment in time. I'm just saying. 
but you, you get what I mean. How do you speak? How, how, what, what, what does your speech say about you? Secondly, there's sins of actions. Um, again, in ver- chapter 5 and verse 11, it says, Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. There's all kinds of actions. Um, verse 28 of chapter 4, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. And so he begins to lift lifts out an actions. You know, don't, do not engage in sexual immorality. Make sure that you flee from all sexual sins. There are sins of attitudes. In verse 31, he says, get rid of all bitterness and rage and brawling and slander and all of these things. And so the, the point is this. If we are constantly walking in the flesh, then we are going to fulfill the deeds of the flesh. And it will come out in the way that we speak, in the attitudes that we have, in the actions that we live. But if I'm going to, listen, if, if I'm going to, if, if I'm going to change the way I speak and change the way that my character is and my actions, that is a work of the Spirit of God. You need the fullness of the Spirit of God in order to do that. Because if you try to do this on your own, you're going to get exhausted and you're going to give up. It's no accident that it is said all the time. Take an unbeliever and the believer, compare them in their speech, their attitudes and actions, and there's virtually no difference because we're not living the Spirit-filled life. And then there's the quenching of the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 tells us not to quench the Spirit. You quench the Spirit when you do not do what the Spirit wants you to do. Right? To quench means to extinguish. It means to, to um, extinguish the fire, to snuff out, to douse, to cool down, to trim back. And so the Spirit directs me to do something. You say, nah, I'm not going to do that. It might be that you're sitting in church and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit convicts you and says, you know what? You said some things to your spouse yesterday that were very hurting and, and cutting. You need to go and apologize. Oh, I got one or two decisions, choices. Either I obey the Holy Spirit and go do that, or I think to myself, well, you know, hey, she said some cutting things to me before, and she didn't exactly treat me well yesterday. I ain't doing it. You're quenching the Spirit. Sometimes we quench the Spirit because the Spirit wants to do something, and, and, and we just don't want to let him do it. For example, somebody said, you know, shared about someone who has, who has cancer, and, and they said, you know, this person's going to have to have chemo for the rest of their lives. And I'm like, wow, you know, we got a healing prayer team. How about they come and, and let us pray over them? And it's just like, nah, no, this is what the doctor said. This is what we got to, we, we, we have, this is what we have to be with, you know. This, I'm not negating doctors. I'm not negating hospitals. I'm not negating treating. But listen, if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and the doctor looks at me and says, hey, Greg, you've got stage four cancer. Your, your days are numbered. You, you just you know, might as well make the best of your time. You better believe I'm going to come and clear off this altar and I'm going to lay my body here. And I want you all up here praying over me. But we don't even do that as a church anymore. You know, James 5 says that you're to call the elders of the church and let them come and anoint you with oil and pray over you so that the sick may be healed. Listen, it is the power of the Holy Spirit who heals the sick. And if we're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, God has given you the ability and the capability to see those things happen. Maybe not all the time, but a whole lot more than if you're not doing any of it. But one of the reasons we are fearful of doing that is because in our hearts we know we're not walking in the fullness of the Spirit 
because we're living our lives quenching and grieving the Spirit more than anything else. So you need to be ready. And by be ready, here's what I mean. You need to repent of any and all sin. Right? That's where the Bible always takes us. That's where Paul takes us. He says, you know what? All through his writings, we come, we repent of all known sin so that I'm like, Holy Spirit, I mean, before I ever step up on this platform on any given Sunday morning, I spend Saturday evening and Sunday morning saying, Holy Spirit, if there's anything that is in my life that is grieving you, if there's anything in my life that is quenching you, that is going to hinder me being a conduit for which you to flow through, then please bring it to my attention that I might deal with that issue in my life. And there have been many times when the Spirit brings something up. Now the question is, what are you going to do about it? Expect, expect to receive your filling because being filled with the Spirit is an act of faith, believing God and His Word. You, you ask. This is ready. You, you repent. You expect. You ask. You ask to be filled with the Spirit. You drink from the living water who is Jesus himself, and you yield yourself to the filling of that Holy Spirit, and you allow that Holy Spirit to flow through you. Listen, God, there is so much God wants to do in us and through us as he empowers us. You want to know why there were signs and wonders and miracles in the book of Acts, and now it seems like, well, those kind of went away. No, they didn't go away. We just Stop depending on the Holy Spirit for them. Because even as believers, we, we just say, well, you, you know, this is out of my control, and, and there's just nothing that can happen, and this can't change, and this is bigger than me, and, and like, as though it's bigger than God. Listen, God's arm is not that short. God is not dependent upon what the doctor tells you. He will do his will as he so chooses to do it. Do you know that God wants you to have spiritual conversations with people? Do you know what one of the greatest miracles is? When God uses you to have a spiritual conversation with somebody and you bring them to the feet of Jesus and they receive Jesus in their life and all of a sudden God has just resurrected them from the dead. They were spiritually dead and now they are brought back to life. That's a miracle. And God wants to use you to bring about those kinds of miracles. But you, if that's going to happen, trust me, you're going to need to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now, here are the consequences of spirit-filled living. And I just want you to think of it in terms of a car. Let's say you went and bought a new car, and uh, you got your key bob, and you got in the car, and you jumped in. Man, you look good in the car. You look good, because that's all that matters. I look good. I look in, the good, I look good in this car. I look good. So I get in there. I, I got the key bob. I put my foot on the brake, and I'm, I'm going to start this thing up, and it won't start. And then I discover something. It doesn't have an engine. But I look good. All right, but the only way I'm going to move that car is to physically push it. You know, that describes many Christians. God has given us this power source called the Holy Spirit, and yet we spend our lives trying to push and push and push, and we wonder why we're exhausted. Because we're not tapping into that source so just to fill out your outline, the consequences of spirit-filled living is obedience, man. If the Spirit of God's going to align me with the will of God, 
And then guess what? Obedience. I, I'm, I'm walking in obedience. I'm walking in the spirit versus the flesh. The Bible says if I walk in the spirit, I will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. There is the overflow. The overflow of a spirit-filled life is, again, it affects your worship life, your wedded life, your, your marriage, your work, um, your war life, that how you do spiritual warfare, your witnessing life, and it brings about opportunities. I mean, the gift of the spirit will bring about all kinds of opportunities that God wants to bring your way as you walk in the fullness of the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit of God is looking for followers of Jesus Christ upon whom he can rest. So let me close with this. You remember when Noah was in the ark and after many days of being stuck in that ark with all of those animals, can't even imagine what that would have been like. But as he is wondering if the waters are beginning to recede, you remember what he did? He took a dove and he set the dove free. And the only way that he could receive from heaven what, what God only knew was through this dove. And, of course, the dove obviously in Scripture represents oftentimes the Holy Spirit. And so the dove goes out, it comes back. So obviously uh, the waters have not receded. He waits seven days. He sends the dove out again. The dove comes out back now with an olive branch. He waits another seven days and he sends the dove out and this time the dove does not return. Why? Because the dove has found a place to rest. That's what the Spirit of God wants to do for you, is he wants to rest upon you, to empower you, to live a life that is greater than your own, to have an impact that could go reach farther than you could ever imagine, but if we're living a life of quenching and grieving, he can't rest there. And so the question always comes back to us. What are we, what do we need to do? To put ourselves in a position in which the Spirit of God rests, whether upon our lives or upon our church, because that's exactly what he wants to do is to rest his empowerment upon us. Well, if you're here this morning, you've never, if you've never had an experience, a life-changing experience, a salvation experience with Jesus, that's where it begins. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it is an issue. Do I, it, do I desire to walk in the Spirit? Is that my desire? Do I feel like this is what I need to do? Am I willing to pay the price to do that? Because there is a price to be paid. Because the Spirit may say, look, you've got too many distractions in your life. You need to, you need to remove this distraction. But, it's it's, but God, it's not anything. I know it's not bad, but it's a distraction. Because we want God to use us with multiple opportunities to make a difference in the world in which we live. So let's bow our heads together. You know, when, when we walk in the fullness of the Spirit, the Bible says the Spirit plants within us love and joy, peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's 
It's fruit not just for us. It's fruit for others. But then Satan comes along and he wants to implant his own little list like lust and jealousy and envy and division and impulsiveness and hostility and hatred and selfish ambition and quarreling and lustful pleasures. He appeals to the fleshly side of us, the old unredeemed side of us that's lodged in our thought processes and in our emotions. I just want to challenge you this, this week to focus on the Holy Spirit and what it means to walk in the fullness of the Spirit, to be Spirit-driven and Spirit-led. Because when we come back next Sunday, if that's the desire of our hearts, that's the passion of our lives, worship will be a whole lot different. And when we sing, Come Holy Spirit, fill this place, that's exactly what he'll do. There's just an aura. There's just an an atmosphere in which the Spirit permeates that changes everything. So, Father, that's my heart's desire for every person here. That, God, that they would see victories where they've only been experiencing defeats. That, God, you would just renew their heart, renew their passion for the things of, of you that the intimacy in the relationship they have with you, Father, would go deeper than ever before. It would be more intimate, more personal than ever before. That this wouldn't just be about ministry. It wouldn't just be about doing things, but it would just be about resting in you. And may you pour out your love upon them. May they know May they feel, may they experience your love in a very powerful way this week. It's my prayer for for this body of believers in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. As we close out our time together, let's sing.
Father, that's the prayer of our hearts. Um, we're just laying it all on the line of absolute surrender to you. And praying that your Holy Spirit would fill us, empower us beyond our human capability. God, we just want to honor you. We want to live as children of light. We want to imitate you. We want to represent you to the world around us that would cause them to ask the question about why we are different. Where, did, where is that hope that is within us to open up opportunities for spiritual conversations? And Father, we just want to crawl up into your lap and just have intimacy. Just to know you and to, to be loved by you. Thank you that our value, our security, our purpose is not in what we do, but in who we are. We're in Christ, and he is in us. So I pray that as we go forth this week, that your Holy Spirit will open up our eyes and our ears, that we be sensitive to him. And all the things that we say, all the things that we do, all the attitudes that we may have. May they be surrendered and submitted to your spirit. And may that which comes forth be blessed by him. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, have a great, great week. We love you. Give somebody a hug before you leave.